morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is April 20th in 2021, and we are opening up our Bibles this next hour to study the inspired and true Word of God. And the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, which also means He is your light. And this light shines on us today as we study 1 Kings chapter 2 and hear of David's last instructions to Solomon. Solomon was anointed king, and now David was giving, I guess we'd call it his last will and testament to his beloved son. We will see how God brought hope to Solomon and also brings hope to us. The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's word this morning, we have with us Pastor Peter Lang, the first vice president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Pastor Lang, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, Pastor Finner, and it's a, a pleasure and privilege to be here with you today. Well, it's good to good to be with you again, and happy Easter to you and your family. Christ is risen. <laughs> risen indeed. Hallelujah. Now, Pastor Lang, you have a unique title, which can be confusing to us. Um, you serve our church body, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, as the first vice president. Um, so can you introduce yourself and tell us more about your work in the LCMS? Sure. Um, yeah, there there are six vice presidents in the LCMS, and uh, five of them are are regional, uh, living and and uh, you know serving in the region of the of the country and synod, uh, um, you know where they are, and uh, some of those are are uh, full time parish pastors, and one or two are are retired. Uh, there's one full time vice president, and that would be me. And uh, so, so I, I live and serve here in St. Louis, and uh, uh, I don't know, as far as what I do, how much time do you have? That's right. <laughs> well, how about a minute? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, the first vice president wears a lot of hats. Uh, the most prominent among them would be uh, that he chairs the pastoral colloquy committee and kind of oversees um, colloquy. Uh, for pastors in our synod, but also the commission colloquy committee, which is a, a separate one, and and uh, you know to oversee and and to chair that. Um, I uh, sit on uh, a couple different boards. Uh, the first vice president is always on the board of directors as a as a non-voting member, board of directors of the synod, and also the CTCR as a non-voting member. Uh, president Harrison has also appointed me to be his representative on the uh, St. Louis Seminary Board of Regents. So those are some of the top things I do, and there are others that I could list, but I, I don't want to bore you. District visitations and district conventions and uh, assisting with uh, a lot of the requests for assistance that come into the president's office. Those are some of the, the top things I do. Well, let me let me take a step back for a moment, because, that, you know, we have new listeners all the time. When you say colloquy, what does that mean? Yeah, in a nutshell, colloquy is when, uh, let's say if we're talking pastoral colloquy, that is when a pastor uh, who is uh, serving, or at least trained to serve, uh, in, in another church body, desires to become a pastor in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Generally, um, these um, applicants already have a, 
a seminary degree, a master of divinity degree, or a degree leading to ordination. Most often they've, they've already been serving as a pastor. Every now and then somebody... Uh, has the the degree and the credentials and and the ordination, but but hasn't actually served. Um, but uh, the colleague committee um, interviews such applicants and um, and where needed sometimes assigns a little bit of uh, of extra work uh, to prepare uh, that person for service. Uh, as a pastor in the Missouri Synod, and same kind of thing happens on the on the commission side for commission ministers. Uh, it's, a, it's a different process, but but uh, colloquy for commission ministers is is the same sort of thing. Well, wonderful. I mean, this goes back to how we speak here a lot on Thy Strong Word and KFUO in general, is how do we make sure that our preaching and teaching is faithful to the Word of God? And um, I'm assuming there's not like a, a gauntlet or something they have to go through, but you're asking, what you know, what do you believe on this and what do you believe in accordance with the confessions and, and, and those kind of things? Is that what I'm hearing? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. So, do they do people give you a lot of gifts when you do this kind of work? I mean, that sounds like something that you know they might come in, give you a few an apple or something better, and go from there. <laughs> I would say just the gift of their time and conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, we are here today to look at First Kings chapter two, and as we look into the these this wonderful chapter, and we look at the end of David's time, it's it's really a time of reflection. You almost think about David's life and you and you look upon his life and then you realize uh we look at our own lives and we look to our lord's grace so can we start our time looking to our lord's blessing and grace and prayer can you lead us in prayer yeah i'd be happy to do that let us pray dear lord you've given us your strong word to keep us as trees planted by streams of water Today, as we consider the final days of your servant, King David, and his instructions to his son Solomon, we give you thanks for the gift that your servant David was to your people Israel, for using it and inspiring him to be the sweet psalmist of Israel, and for sending your son Jesus through the line of King David to be the greater son of David, our Lord and our King. Bless our time in your word today. And as often as we are blessed to meditate on it, that like Solomon, we may be filled with the true wisdom that comes from above. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners that if you have any questions for us on First Kings, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Pastor Lang, we still find ourselves at the beginning of First Kings. We just got through chapter one. Now, what kind of background information that do you want to share with us, or do you have anything to help us get started on the right foot? Oh, uh, I would just say, uh, although I was not able to listen to Friday's edition, you, you had the best with uh, Dr. Meyer III, Walter Meyer III, uh, <laughs> right, leading right. you off. And then yesterday's uh, installment was, was wonderful. I listened to a good part of that. So I don't have a, a, a lot to add. I would just say what's probably been said already, just to kind of situate us in time here, that I think we all know King David was the second king of Israel uh, after Saul. And um, he uh, he be began his reign about 1010 BC, reigned for 40 years, and uh, 
was born in a, in about uh, 1039 BC or so. So just to kind of get situated, he's he's about 70 years old now, um, as he is uh, just about on his deathbed. Been reigning for 40 years, but we sort of find that out from the text here, and so we won't uh, won't go into that too much. And as you look at chapter one, I, I found it kind of funny as it says, beginning, he was old. And Dr. Meyer had a few good words on that, too, because he was 70, you know, so I, I should call my dad up and officially tell him he's old um, because that's how old my dad is around that age. But I find it I, I find it interesting just how how we look at that. But when you're when you're 70 and he's at his age. He is he is about to share things with his son um, to pass down the lineage. And and there's more than just that going on. So here's what I want to do is I want to read just verse one and reflect on that a little bit. As far as when we get to the end of our lives, what do we want to tell our children and others before we pass from this earth and go to be with the Lord? So let's start with verse one. Let's open up our Bibles and get started. Reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Scriptures. Verse 1. When David's time to die drew near, excuse me, to die drew, drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, now, kind of leave you on the cliff here a little bit, but I want to reflect on this a little bit. Like I said, he's 70 years old. This reminds me a little bit of Jacob in Israel in, in Genesis 47 when he gathers Joseph and he knows he's about to pass and he starts to share with him about finding favor with the Lord and those kinds of things. Um, what are any reflections on we get to the end of our lives and we want to share things with our children or with others, our last will and testament of sorts. Any reflections on that as we look at David's life and even our own? Yeah, I had a, a couple thoughts as I was uh, uh, reading this and thinking about this a little bit. I, I remember the, the very first time that uh, my wife and I uh, made our own last will and testament to, as a young mm-hmm. couple, and we were working with a, a counselor actually from our LCMS Foundation, and, and uh, he talked about a, a Christian preamble to that, you know, and I had never done that before, never thought about um, that, and in a way, uh, this this is King David's last will and testament to his son Solomon and this is very much of a of a Christian or certainly a a, a word of god preamble um uh, to that and i was also thinking um about the seventh petition uh, of the lord's prayer um and Luther's explanation to that, you know, when our last hour comes, grant us a blessed end mm-hmm. and graciously take us from this valley of sorrows to himself in heaven. That uh, King David's blessed here, you know, even though this is probably not the last day of his life, you know, there was a, a bit of an overlap, but it's certainly certainly near the end of his life. And uh, he's blessed to be able uh, eventually to die in, in peace and here to have this time and this opportunity, you know, was not a sudden death, was not a violent death, to have this opportunity to say these things to Solomon. And that's an important thing for you, our listeners, and for all of us as Christian people, is what are the words we want to share with our children, with our families, when time has gone? Um, and I, you know, we, when we filled out our uh, uh, our will as well, that was presented to us is what kind of Christian preamble do you want? And I, I had the same idea, like, what What do you mean? This is something people do? <laughs> and and yeah. it just goes in and, and being a right sound in mind and showing the uh, 
the inconsistencies and the brokenness of this world that my hope has always been in Christ who has died and risen for me was part of that preamble. And I love how you bring that together. And my encouragement for our listeners and for all of us is how can we make sure that people see the hope that we had because that hope um, goes beyond this world. And any last thoughts on uh, verse one? Oh, well, just that it is interesting that um, even though uh, David was referred to in chapter one as King David nine different yeah. times, suddenly Man. here now, you know, as he, uh, you know, he, he's about to leave this world as he uh, entered it um, um, with nothing, including including his title. You know, he's uh, I, I think I think simply the use of of his name, David, um, you know, reminds us, uh, you know, dust you are into dust you shall return. Absolutely. Even King David was no longer king. So let's continue on verses two through three as he says these words. And these are very important words um, for us to think about our own lives, but also words uh, that, that really hit home in many ways. Verses, we'll just go verses two and three for now. Mm-hmm. I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. So he says a number of things here that can, you know, that are pretty straightforward, but some unique things as well. Where do you want to start with these verses? Oh, I just kind of love marching right through them. Uh, mm-hmm. Just that, just that phrase—the the euphemism for uh, dying. I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Joshua uh, said the exact same thing to the to uh, the people of Israel in uh, in chapter 23, verse 14 of of Joshua. And uh, yeah, and so now now David is echoing that exact same language, and he he says to Solomon, uh, "Be strong and show yourself a man." Um, and again, mentioning Joshua, uh, Moses said that same thing to Joshua, be strong in, in chapter 31. And uh, the Lord said the same thing in the same chapter, a little bit later on to Joshua, be strong um, and and show yourself a man. And I think uh, uh, um, as as the Lord was, was talking to, to Saul, um, uh, the Lord used that that. Well, a similar sort of phrase for David mm-hmm. that he was going to, mm-hmm. that the Lord was going to raise up a man after his own heart. And I, I think, uh, uh, as Dr. Meyer actually points out in his commentary, that's kind of what's going on here. This is really not about age. There's a little bit of uh, debate as to how old Solomon was at this time. You know, some would mm-hmm. say he, he was quite young, uh, others not so young. But this is more about um, strength and and uh, being a man after God's own heart, uh, you know, centered in the Word of God. That's interesting, too, because you see that in Paul's epistles. Ephesians 6 talks about be strong in the Lord. And in other parts, Paul writes this. And, you know, because you can read that in our modern context. And I have a tendency, I have a son, and, and there's sometimes you want to say that, you know, it's like, well, be a man, you know, <laughs> and that has a different meaning than what he's saying here. Right. And if, it, it, you know, right. And right. and that's something for us to remember. It's not physical strength, 
Although I don't think uh, David would tell Solomon not to be a strong man as a physical male, um, but but to be a man of the Lord, which I think is an important distinction for us too, as Christians, is that men don't need to be ones who can bench press three hundred pounds, but ones who know that they can lean on the Lord. Any any reflections on how he says that and how that might look in today's world? Uh, I just would say right on, you know, to what you said, and and uh, you know the evidence for that comes in in what follows. He, he immediately goes to um, uh, really almost a parallel phrase for that in verse three. Now keep the charge of the Lord your God, mm-hmm. walking in His ways and so forth. I don't want to get too far ahead of you, but uh, oh, you're but, good. You know what you just said about the strength and and uh, and the meaning of show yourself a man um uh, is unpacked really in what follows in verse 3 and i and i want i want i want to get to that and one of the things that this is important for us today with much confusion what does it mean to be a man what does it mean to be a woman and 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 there's I mean, we don't have to talk about that all day we could talk all day but one of the things that gets very confusing for people is is what does it mean to be a man? And you can start thinking it is that you can fix anything. You can fix your car. You can um, do these physically strong things. Well, me personally, I'm I'm terrible at fixing anything. You know, I said in one of my when I introduced myself to KFUO that I do the dishes in the house, and so and this is sometimes this is about as strong as it gets, and that's not real strong. And here, it's important for our men who are listening today that this is while God, besides your physicalness, as God has made you a male. These are the things that he's given for you to be. To be a strong man shows these next three things. I would say three things to show us what it means to be a good man in today's world even. So so let's dig into those three things. He talks about keeping charge, walking, um, keeping statues. You want to talk more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> keep the charge of the Lord your God. Um, uh, that, that's that's interesting in the in the Hebrew. That's actually uh, it, it uses the same word for keep and for charge. It's it's literally keep the keeping of the Lord your God, and uh, mm. and it's talking about uh, uh, sort of a, a, a charge to to a priestly duty. Or, or so so keep the, the the charge of the Lord your God as He's given uh, in His Word, walking in His ways and keeping. I just love this this list of uh, five. Uh, nouns that follow now uh, keep his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, uh, and then as it is written in the law, the Torah of Moses. Um, in Psalm 119, you know that very long psalm uh, about mm. the the Word of God. There are eight different uh, uh, words in there for the Word of God, and and these right here are five of those eight. Um, oh. And mm. yeah. Yeah, and very various uh, portions of this list of five are used uh, over and over again um, in the books of Moses, especially in, in Deuteronomy. Well, and and is there a way? And I'm trying to think through this. I I kind of did not I did not look at it as close as you did in those verses. When it talks about walking in His ways, statutes, commandments, rules, testimonies, can you give us a little bit of a feel of? The simplistic, like, okay, what are those? How would we even look at some of those, or how would you describe that if someone asked you? Uh, you know, as far as distinctions, uh, 
I would I would actually there there are slight nuances and it's interesting I think I would just point the readers uh, in the Lutheran Study Bible um, page nine hundred seventy one there's a, a chart that has all eight of those that are in uh, Psalm one nineteen and it kind of gives just a little bit of a of a nuanced difference uh, for each of those but uh, but um, Dr Walter Meyer in his commentary does point out that even though there are those those nuances these are basically equivalent and that's a, a direct quotation from him basically equivalent so you know um and i didn't you know dig into the nuances of each one you know to be able right. to uh to wax eloquently on that today but 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 in general this is this is simply talking about the word of god uh walk in the mm-hmm. word of god and that's that's david's charge to solomon and I love how you highlighted uh, Psalm 1. We had Dr. Seleska on last week, and we talked about Psalm 1. And it, it talks about uh, the, the love of the law of the Lord, or the Torah, and, and how it is the Word, how we can love the Word and inwardly digest this Word. And I, and I do, and this is important for us to remember, too, that, well, it's a big book. And so it's something that we, we meditate on, um, that we, we pray, pray on, and uh, not pray on, but, but pray over and pray these words and look at these words. And like you said, page 971 of Lutheran Study Bible, you got a whole page in case you're wondering more about such nuances that are there. The big thing is walk in his ways, keep his word, and continually try to follow his word, knowing that our Lord hears us and gives us his gracious forgiveness in Christ. Any other thoughts on those that part? You got it. I think that's, that's <laughs> sufficient. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, okay. Uh, then it goes from there in verse 3, that you may prosper in all that you do. Now, this can hit our ears a little bit different, too, because you start thinking, well, was David a Joel Osteen fan or is Joel Osteen a David fan? How does this all fit? What does he mean, prosper? How does that look in the Christian life? Yeah, very, very good. It's important to to point out this is not talking about the prosperity gospel. Uh, This is sort of a a Deuteronomy 28 sort of thing. As the uh, people of Israel were getting ready to enter the promised land, you know, the, the same basic charge was, was given to them, that if they continue to, you know, walk in the ways of the Lord, um, they they will be, be blessed by the Lord. I was thinking about this this morning, and, and I would simply say that um, this is talking really about vocationally, I would say, that mm-hmm. King David is, is saying to Solomon, um, continue to, to be rooted in, in God's Word and to walk in His ways, and, and you will prosper vocationally. You know, the, the Lord will, will bless your, your kingship, uh, especially, uh, as, as well as, um, you know, your life as a, as a husband and father and so forth. Well, and, and I remember and during seminary talking a lot about how we'll say, okay, clearly, if you follow God's law, you know, basic Ten Commandments type of stuff, is that you will not have a perfect life. That's very clear. However, uh, for example, if you follow the Sixth Commandment, you will have a much not easier, a much more fruitful life if you just follow that. If you don't murder someone or don't hurt people, you're going to have a much more fruitful life. If you remember the Sabbath day, uh, that will be a, a source of strength. That will be a good life for you. Not perfect, not to say you won't have battles, but just saying you follow those Ten Commandments and there will fruit will be bore. And that's, is that kind of in the same line? 
very much so. As you say that, I, I, this could take us down another road, but I, I do think of the uh, the close of the commandments uh, from Exodus 20. You know, right. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers, etc., uh, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Um, I think I think this is all wrapped up in that, too. Well, yeah, I think that's an amen to that. And I, I want to get to uh, verse four. Uh, we have a break in about three and a half minutes. And I want to get through verse four because this is an important piece of, well, how does this all look in David's kingdom, especially as we look as Christians? So verse four, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their hearts and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So he says words of promise, but also there seems to be an exhortation or of a do this or else type of language. What is what is uh, what is David saying here? Yeah. Um, well, first of all. Um, there's so much to say. Um, mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. we don't know exactly. Uh, so King David is saying at the beginning of verse four that the Lord may establish His word that He spoke to me. We don't know exactly what word that that was. You know, can't really mm-hmm. cite a a chapter and verse for that. Except it's interesting. Now this is you know. Uh, something different in Psalm 132 that that, uh, wasn't even written by David. Uh, Verses 11 and 12 say that the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which you will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne, etc. But Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think trying, I think the important thing to say here is that um, this seems to be talking about a temporal promise uh, to mm-hmm. David and to and to uh, his his sons Solomon and, and Rehoboam and, and those who followed thereafter uh, but it's very important to say uh, even as we sort of unpack what this is sort of all about it's a conditional sort of thing look at the end of verse uh, halfway through verse four if your sons uh, right. play uh, pay close attention to their way to walk before me etc and to contrast that with that uh, very important uh, messianic prophecy, uh, which is really kind of something different, but uh, very well known, Second uh, Samuel chapter seven, um, you know, verses eleven through sixteen, which I won't take the time to read, but but that's not conditional there, and that's talking about a, a an, an eternal fulfillment, and that's talking about. Um, David's son Jesus, you know the the, the greater the, the greater son of David, but but that's all something else. Second Samuel seven, and this is more of a, a temporal temporal promise, um, you know, with that conditional if um, that it's it's going to be very important, uh, Solomon, that that you and your sons uh, stay rooted uh, in my word. And as you know, and that is so well said because you have. It's weird. You don't want to say two covenants. That's not how we don't want to go down that realm. That could be a whole different ballgame. But definitely talk about the temporal promise that if you follow my ways, and this goes to how you quoted the small catechism or from Exodus, where it's like, if you follow my ways, that this is going to go pretty well. And I mean, this is like any job. If you do what I tell you to do, you're going to you're going to do okay in this job. But if you don't, which clearly we see this throughout the kings, that you might not have uh, a, a Davidic uh, king, but it does not mean that denies that the lineage of Christ, the King of Kings, 
will be denied because of what uh, the people did. Does that does that kind of summarize it? It's exactly right. And I and I just have to say, and, you know, look, it's not many chapters later where we we hear in First Kings 11 about Solomon's many wives turning his heart from the Lord. And not many chapters after that, we hear about uh, Rehoboam and, and the, the high places and the Asherah that that were set up, uh, you know, in uh, in Judah and <laughs> yeah. things went off the rails. It is. It is. Uh, the Bible sometimes can seem like a soap opera. But right now, we need to take our break. We are studying First Kings with Pastor Peter Lang, and we'll be right back. our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. Touching the lives and the hearts of our listeners with the Word of Christ. Sharper Iron is such an incredible, amazing gift. I thank you so much for what it's doing for me and what I know it must be doing for a lot of other people. God bless. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Worldwide KFUO. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. And welcome back. We are studying 1 Kings chapter 2 with Pastor Peter Lang. And as we've gone through these first four verses, those lay the groundwork for many things. And I did push you through that last verse there relatively quickly, Pastor Lang. And so I wanted to make sure if you had any reflections or thoughts over David's last instructions to his family. It's like he gets the family matters out of the way to begin with, and then he moves on to extra business that he has. So any thoughts about his last words to Solomon and to his family? Uh, no, I would, I would just, I would say we, we covered it pretty well, even though we kind of crammed it in there and just that, (laughs) just that, uh, just that four really needs to be heard in the context of three, that, that verse three, that this is all about God's word, um, paying, uh, close Mm. attention to, to, to that, um, and, and walking in, in, in God's word and in his ways, um, and, and the, uh, the vocational, um, blessing that follows upon that. I, I think we, I think we got it. 
Oh, very good. All right. So let's move on. And this is probably one of the more interesting moves uh, that I found in First Kings, definitely to this point where it goes from this nice and wonderful uh, family moment. You know, you almost want to write it down or put it in a movie. And then there's a seemingly weird transition to him speaking about a few other people in not such a good light. So let's read this and dig into what God's word says. Verses five and six. Moreover, you also know what Joab, the son, of, the son of Zariah, did to me, how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed, avenging in time of peace for blood that had been shed in war and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. Act, therefore, according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray hair go down to Sheol in peace. Um, so <laughs> he goes from the nice family moment to, I guess you would say, Oh, let there be vengeance. What is, what's <laughs> going on with Joab? And what's the, what is he, what is, what's going on here? Let's go there. Yeah. Uh, I would say two things just to get us started. Uh, one would be that the two verses you read, uh, we, we shouldn't lose sight as we start, you know, uh, zeroing in, we shouldn't lose sight of all of verses five through nine. So what, mm-hmm. what, what happened now here, what, what, what we're going to be talking about are three situations, one dealing with Joab, the second one dealing with Barzillai, and uh, the third one dealing with, with Shimei. And so, so this is the first of those three uh, about Joab. The second thing to say is, man, uh, I was thinking today the, the uh, expression sort of dropping the needle like on a, a piece of music, you know, with the old uh, LPs. Um, when you, when you drop the needle somewhere in, in first Kings, like you do here, uh, you can't do that without digging back into both of the books of Samuel and also both yep. of the books of Chronicles. I mean, it's, right. you, right. you gotta, and I'm sure Dr. Meyer, uh, and others have pointed that out already. You know, it's just, uh, th- there's so much interplay between, uh, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. That being said, um, this uh, this about Joab refers back to Second Samuel um, uh, chapter three and also Second Samuel uh, chapter twenty. Joab was the nephew of King David. It says here that he's the son of Zeruiah, who is a sister of of King David, uh, which would make Joab a, a nephew. He was mm-hmm. also commander of uh, commander of David's army, and uh, so you know what Joab uh, did to me? How he dealt with the two commanders of the army of Israel. Abner and Amasa. So um, uh, Abner um, was. Let me just uh, see. He Abner had killed Joab's brother mm-hmm. uh, in the Battle of Gibeon, and so uh, Joab, as we read about in Second Samuel uh, chapter three, murdered Abner in 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 retaliation for that. Um, but he did so in a time of peace, and um, and then uh, Amasa. We read that in Second Samuel chapter twenty. Uh, he also was a nephew of David, just like Joab was. He was a, therefore he was a cousin of Joab, and he had been commander of Absalom's army during during that that uprising after Absalom. 
died, um, David uh, uh, actually appointed Amasa to be to be the commander of, of his army, and of course mm-hmm. that threatened Joab. Joab didn't like that, and uh, Joab also killed uh, Amasa in Second uh, Samuel chapter twenty. Both of those things really reflected uh, very badly on um, on David's reign and on on David's promises and and were were an embarrassment to him and um and and that's what that's what david means by saying about joah that he avenged in time of peace uh blood that had been shed uh, in war you know abner and amasa uh, did whatever they did by way of of killing uh, in a time of war, but Joab mm-hmm. got his Joab got his retaliation in a, in a time of peace, which which was wrong. Ah, that's a good distinction. Now, I want to take one step back, a spiritual care step back, if you will. Is one time I was at a, a circuit meeting, um, not around Minnesota, but when I was in Wisconsin, and and uh, a circuit meeting, and one of the pastors was doing a Lenten series on David. And so he went through David's life, and and one of the beauties, as we as we reflect at the end of his life here in these, this chapter, the beauties of of David is that he was a true saint and sinner. Of anybody that was a saint and sinner, it was David. You know, he had those moments where the Lord was with him, and he was a man of faith. And then there's times like Bathsheba, and other times where you're not sure what's all going on. And then we see how the depth of God's grace hits us all, especially on account of Christ. And and so he went through all that. It was just beautiful. And then one of the pastors, a, a, a brother pastor, opened up his Bible, went to Second Kings chapter 2, and he said, yes, but was David saved at the end of his life? And he read this part about Joab, that at the end of David's life, it almost was like there was anger and vengeance on his heart. And then he says, therefore, was David actually saved? And I mean, it was like you could have, like you talk about the pin drop. You almost could hear a pin drop in the room like, um, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. so the question, and I, how would you address that question? Because this is an important distinction for us as Christians. What, how would you address such a question? Because in some ways you get it, in some ways you don't. So, how would you address that? Yeah, uh, two things come to mind. One, to uh, we'll we'll get to the the third of these three about um, mm-hmm. uh, Shimei, and that that one I think is even more challenging to explain. <laughs> yeah, really, in true. light of in light of your question, but. This one, I I would simply again, I'd go back to vocation. I would go back to the uh, the power of the sword. Uh, you know, in New Testament terms, uh, Romans, um, uh, Joab sinned. Joab did wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Joab and and David and everybody else. Um, uh, it's one thing to take another life in a time of war, uh, but it's a very different thing to uh, to murder and to to take another life in a in a time of peace. You know, by way of of retaliation or or in the case of Amasa, you know, because uh, Joab might have probably felt threatened and such. So um, and so, you know, basically. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And mm-hmm. uh, and and here, here I would say uh, um, he uses David and, and by extension, really Solomon, uh, to carry that out. 
Right, right. And he was totally justified when you look at the scriptural account of, okay, this is what has to, has to happen when you do this. This is, the, this is the recourse. This is how we keep law and order within that society. And it's good for us to remember that he, he's not speaking as a priest. He's doing this as a king, um, yeah. an important distinction there as well. Um, th- those are great words. And like you said, uh, when you get to Shimei, uh, it gets even more complicated. But let's, let's wait till we get there, though. We don't want to get too complicated too quickly. Um, <laughs> let's go to verse 7, where he makes a little bit of a transition in one verse. He says, well, down with Joab, but verse 7. But deal loyally with the sons of Barzillai, the, Gilead, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For such loyalty they met me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. So here he tells to deal loyally, loyally with these sons. Tell us about these sons. Yeah, so this is kind of a nice interlude in a way between you know the the, the difficult things, the, the two tough tough things with Joab mm-hmm. and, and Shimei. So um, when uh, Absalom. Um, rebelled, you know, obviously David's son, Absalom, rebelled, rebelled and tried to uh, take over the, the kingdom. Uh, David fled Jerusalem, and he went to the east, uh, downhill to the Jordan River and across the Jordan River. And um, he was heading to uh, Mahanaim, which we see at the very end of verse 8, uh, which is a city just just on the, the east of the Jordan River. And this wealthy Gileadite uh, by the name of uh, Barzillai came out with a couple other men and uh, brought all kinds of things to David and to his whole entourage, not just food, mm-hmm. but but if you look uh, at, uh, I believe it's Second um, uh, uh, Samuel chapter 17, even mm-hmm. beds, beds and bowls and everything you need to kind of set up a new household. And if I recall correctly, I think David was there for a couple years that, that he was uh, outside of Jerusalem, um, you know, while that whole thing with Absalom was, was playing out. And so, so, uh, then, um, David, when the rebellion was over, went back to Jerusalem, and he wanted uh, Barzillai the Gileadite. Um, he was so thankful to, to Barzillai um, for everything that he had done, sort of on the east side of, of the Jordan there by, by Mahanaim, that he wanted Barzillai to join him in Jerusalem. And Barzillai said, thanks, but I'm 80 years old, and uh, just just sort of let me die in peace. And uh, but But here, here's my son. Uh, Kimam, uh, why don't you take Kimam uh, with you? And um, and so uh, Barzillai's son went back to Jerusalem with, with David. And so so now these these years later, um, uh, it's quite likely you've got you've got Kimam and you've got you know probably his sons and and such. So the sons of Barzillai um, are are in and around Jerusalem, you know, from that whole thing. So, so David is saying to Solomon, uh, these continue to be wonderful people. Remember what their father and their perhaps even grandfather, you know, Barzillai did for me. Deal loyally with them and uh, let them continue to, to eat it at the king's table uh, because they, they really blessed me when I fled from Absalom. And this is a, a good reminder for us as, as Christians is 
it is more blessed to give than to receive kind of language, um, the service of the neighbor and those people whom God brings into our lives and who have blessed us in so many ways. And it's a good reflection. This is this is David really reflecting on how God had provided for him in his life and to make sure that, that therefore, that we are kind and, and a blessing to others. As God has, has blessed us, we go and bless others. That kind of language. Like you said, this is a wonderful interlude into uh, Shimei <laughs> as, as we read this, but also just a good reminder for all of us. How do we love and care for those who have blessed us in our own lives. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, and just that, uh, as I understand it, uh, you know, being on the east side of the Jordan and a Gileadite, uh, Barzillai wasn't even, uh, you know, a, 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 a member of the nation of Israel. So that's, that's uh, right. it's all, all the more um, that, uh, that he took care of, of King David. Oh, interesting, interesting. Well, we had our... Uh, we had our nice uh, unicorn moment there. And now we go on to <laughs> Shimei here in verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. And there is also with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahiram, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I went to Mahananim. What when he, uh, excuse me, but when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do to him, and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. So here it is. Um, he, you have tell us, tell us about the story, Shimei, and from the past. Oh, that's that's something. So again, this is <laughs> this is when David fled Jerusalem. So Second Samuel chapter sixteen, and it says that uh, Shimei is is from Bahurim. Another, <clears throat> excuse me, another uh, name for that is is Nob, and that's actually just very ah, close to yeah. the, just very close to the Mount of Olives, just a, a little mm-hmm. bit northeast. So so basically a suburb of Jerusalem, and and as David's uh, heading out of Jerusalem to the east. This uh, Shimei is a kind of a funny story in Second Samuel 16. He's following him. He's cursing him. He's also throwing stones and he's flinging dust. And um, and David's men want to want to kill him for for doing that. And David says no. And so David, you know, heads uh, heads to the east. Everything we just talked about with Barzillai. I just saw my note. It's actually four years that that he oh. is uh, probably spending, uh, you know, um, in the neighborhood of uh, Mahanaim, which is not far. You know, half an hour. Well. My car, um, right? <laughs> not, yeah, not far from Jerusalem, and then, and then the last half of verse eight. Uh, that's Second Samuel nineteen. That's when again David's coming back to Jerusalem after the rebellion's over, after Absalom's dead, and uh, Shimei uh, is basically thinking, "Oops." I really goofed up a few years back uh, when I cursed him and and threw stones and so so Shimei went down to the Jordan went from Jerusalem you know journeyed uh, a little bit to the east down to the Jordan to meet David and basically say you know please forgive me and uh, David swore to him by the Lord saying I will not put you uh, to death with the sword but now now years this you know years later uh now at the end of his life um uh this is a really interesting question cuz cuz you know David did not 
allow his men to put Shimei to death with the sword for a second time as David's returning to Jerusalem. But now that he's talking to his son Solomon uh, near the end of his life, he says, uh, but, you know, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You'll know what you ought to do, and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. There's no question uh, what he means by that. And um, that kind of circles back to your circuit conference in Wisconsin sort of question. Mm -hmm. And I think... And and here um, uh, I, I simply would appeal again to uh, to Dr. Meyer, Walter Meyer the third, in his commentary, and he he basically says or points out uh, that uh, there's a biblical biblical command in uh, Exodus uh, chapter 22, verse 28: "You shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people," and uh, and he basically says that that David. Uh, thought better of the situation and basically had a change of heart and realized that uh, he had almost been too too kind. He he had let his his uh, you know whatever get the, get the better of him uh, when he made the decision not to allow Shimei to be put to death. And upon further reflection, as the years went by. Um, uh, He's actually now instructing Solomon to carry out justice according to Exodus twenty two twenty eight, because Shimei had had uh, done something very wrong in in cursing um, a God appointed king. And and I read the same commentary, and and once again, uh, Pastor Lang is speaking about uh, Doctor uh, Walter Meyer's Concordia commentary on First Kings one through eleven, and we had him as our guest last week, and and that was one because he brought up three different questions in the commentary, and one of them is was David's judgment of death for Shimei just? And the answer to that is yes, because he did break that law. Why is it that, you know, he changed his heart later? We don't really know. Was it just? Yes. Um, how does that all fit with, you know, the grace and mercy he had before to where he is now is really not the, not the question. The question is, was it a just act? And the answer to that is yes, even though I'll admit, I still kind of have a little bit of a pit in my stomach as I hear it, because he just didn't say, send him down to Sheol, but he says um, that there will be blood. And so he's very serious, even more than Joab. And clearly, it seems like Joab was worse I mean, in this whole realm. So it's hard to fit all that together. But do you have any last thoughts on that, Pastor? Yeah, just one one little last thought, and it's it's the tip of a of a very large uh, iceberg. But uh, just to kind of keep in mind now the whole context uh, that we've seen today of all of these first nine verses so far, and that um, David is talking to Solomon, and David says in verse nine uh, to Solomon, "You are a wise man." And of course, we all know about Solomon's mm. wisdom, and this is mm -hmm. all in the context of verses three and four, which are all about uh, keeping the word of God. God and walking in the Word of God, and and basically with these three very specific uh, sort of tying up loose ends from years past, uh, David is counsel, giving uh, uh, counsel to Solomon about wisdom and, and about mm -hmm. about about the application of of the Word of God, 
Um, you know, whether whether it's like we talked about with Joab, um, you know, the, the 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 sort of just and biblical uh, power of the sword, or whether it's now with with Shimei about um, God's God's word in Exodus 22 about not cursing a ruler, or or the sort of nice story in verse seven about um, you know blessing someone who had been such a blessing to David. Um, just just connecting the dots and again it's a tip of a much larger iceberg but connecting the dots between um uh, Solomon's wisdom and the word of God and this counsel from David uh, to his son and it's uh, i think it connects in this way before I get to our last verses is one one of my members we just went through the, the life of David in Bible study which was a real fascinating and, and joyful time and we got to this point and one of my elders kind of came to me and talked to me after Bible study and he said boy David was very earthy <laughs> I yeah. thought that was a great way of describing him and also realizing that even earthy people can be saved because it is the grace of God that saves us, not our earthiness or lack thereof. So um, let's, let's move on to the last three verses and reflect on the life of David. We have about five minutes left as we look at these last few verses. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. And thoughts on those verses? Oh, well, I probably should have said it at the very beginning. And in in many ways, it deals uh, as much or more with chapter one as it does with this. But um, something as simple as uh, the mention of the city of David um, mm. just brings back a ton of mem- memories. Uh, I and my wife and, and several others uh, from the Council of Presidents were, were blessed to be in the Holy Land a year ago in January. And uh, that day, mm. that day that we spent uh, specifically in the city of David, the ancient city of David, you know, which is uh, just a little bit southwest of the Temple Mound, and it's not just equivalent with all of Jerusalem. It, it, you know, it was the very specific citadel that uh, that David captured from the Jebusites, and there's. Uh, it just brings back a flood of memories. And in in chapter one, you know, we're talking about the Spring of Gion, where where mm-hmm. Solomon Solomon was was inaugurated. That's right there in the city of David, and I was at the Spring of of Gion, and and. Uh, and as I said, you know, we we spent spent uh, just wonderful time. So so thinking of David now um, uh, being uh, on his deathbed and just about to be buried in the city of David brings back uh, all these uh, uh, interesting. Um, um, you know, mental images. And so, again, as we said at the beginning, David's 70 years old. He's he's reigned for 40 years. Um, Seven of those years were just a little bit southwest of Jerusalem, about 18 miles, uh, mm. kind of uh, uh, sort of in the same direction as Bethlehem, but a little bit beyond Bethlehem uh, in in Hebron. That's where he began, and then and then he he uh, you know conquered Jerusalem, moved into the city of David, and reigned uh, 33 years there. It's interesting, uh, just to kind of bracket once again. Notice that verses 10 and 11 don't speak of King David. Again, right. just you know, right. naked you came into this world, and and, and naked <laughs> shall you go out, even even stripped of titles. 
um, David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of, of David. I'll, let me just pause there. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Now, as we look here for about another uh, minute or two, we I think it's good for us to reflect on David's life a little bit. And if someone were to ask you, tell me about David in the Old Testament. And as we look at the end of his life here, how would you describe David's life? Well, it's funny. You you actually uh, stole my thunder, but uh, but I suppose <laughs> I stole somebody else's thunder, you know, to sinner saint, right? Okay, uh, sure. You know, just you, you think of David with Bathsheba, um, but but David and Goliath, and uh, and and David being persecuted by Saul, and mm. um, but David as the sweet psalmist of Israel, and just the profound and beautiful. Uh, things that are are said there. Uh, You know, if your question is, how do you reflect on David's life? Um, uh, You know, hardly know where to begin, but what, what, what a gift, what a gift he was uh, to the people uh, whom he ruled and what a gift he was to the church of all ages, uh, you know, through his Psalms to be sure. Um, But, uh, but also, you know, through through his his life, I, I think of his confession. Um, you know, when he had sinned with Bathsheba and was confronted by by Nathan and confessed his sin, and uh, and was absolved and and uh, received that absolution, and then continued to to uh, go on writing beautiful confessions uh, um, uh, of the joy of forgiveness in his psalms. Pastor Peter Lang is first vice president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, helping us today study 1 Kings chapter 2. Pastor Lang, it's been an honor, and thank you for being our guest. Thank you for inviting me. I've, I've enjoyed it. Saints of our Lord, at the end of our lives, we want to give our children, grandchildren, and others words of wisdom. And David does. Be strong in the Lord, walk in his ways, and may his word be established in you. As Pastor Lang said so well, sinner saint was David and sinner saint is you. On account of Christ, we are saved. And these words he gives to Solomon are good words for us. Wisdom that goes beyond this life. For we come into this world naked and we leave naked. But what we have is Christ's righteousness for us, dead and risen for you. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.